Welcome to The Lead, a podcast about how to get ahead in the news industry from the people who did. I'm your host, Jacqueline Ganun. Today, I'm talking with Dodie Cantrell-Bickley, who teaches journalism at the University of Georgia and has more than 30 years of experience in broadcast journalism. She's worked as an on-air reporter and the president of multiple news stations and was a leader in broadcast through the pivot to digital and the advent of the internet. Today, we're talking about what that experience taught her about the shifts we're seeing today in the journalism industry. Spoiler alert, she is very excited for the future. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is produced by the Cox Institute for Journalism Innovation, Management, and Leadership at the University of Georgia's Grady College. Now, here's the lead. Hi, Professor Cantrell. Thank you so much for joining me. Happy to be here. I know that we are going to talk a lot about innovation and the future of broadcast, but I do want to start at the beginning. Um, You've had a career of more than 30 years in broadcast, which is quite impressive. You started as a reporter and eventually ended up working in leadership positions. But I want to ask you, how did you start as a reporter? What was it like during those first early years when you were working as a broadcast journalist? What the most interesting is what sparked my interest was a Georgia person was running for president, Jimmy Carter. And so I had the opportunity to, you know, hang around the, the, the depot, the train depot in Plains, and see how journalists operated. And that was fascinating to me, you know, that presidential story right here in Georgia and, and in the small town of Plains. Um, and so even though all I did was, like, pass out bumper stickers still, you know, I'm a part of it. So that, that got me really interested in, in politics and, 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 and watching how, how broadcast journalists primarily work. You know, my first job was, uh, you know, when I was first in, in a newsroom, there weren't a lot of women, and it was, uh, it was challenging. The technology was challenging. You know, the, the cameras were, were big and, and, and heavy. There was like this thing called a TK, I think it was TK-76. It was like a cast iron. It was like having a lot of skillets on your shoulder. Um, and then you had these tape decks that you had to carry. And then you had this giant Benton tripod. Everything was just very, very heavy, and uh, and it was just t- the technology made it very, very difficult. Uh, so you know, had to be really intentional about your story because the technology, you know, video is profound. Video takes people uh, to places that ordinarily and to events that ordinarily and good things and tragedies that they would not see on their own. So the power of video is so profound that you did have to pay attention to the technology. You did have to pay attention to getting it right. And, and you know, your lighting had to be right and your audio had to be right. Um, but you also had to balance. You know, you, you do have to get the story. It can't all be, oh, my God, my white balance. Oh, dear, my battery charger just ran out of juice. And those are some of the challenges you sometimes faced. Yeah, that is really interesting. It's especially for me just having grown up with only digital and all this technology right in our pockets. <laughs> It's kind of hard to imagine all the heavy equipment that you used to have. And kind of along those lines, after working as a reporter on camera for a couple of years, you ended up working as news manager and then president and general manager of multiple stations. And that was at the time when the industry was being shaken up a lot, moving from this more analog technology to more digital. There was the internet. So can you talk about leading news stations through that change and kind of maybe how it's impacting how you're looking at the shakeups we're seeing in the industry now. Very early on, the first time I really started paying attention and recognizing that a lot of who we think we are or who we thought we were, we needed to back up and get a little bit more realistic about that. You know, the facts are we had quite a monopoly 
Everybody wasn't going to run out and buy a printing press. Everybody certainly wasn't going to be able to go out and get a television license. It's expensive propositions, limited, monopolized. And when you have that, sometimes you don't always have to make the toughest decisions. When you start having real competition, that you have to start making decisions to keep yourself competitive. The first time I ever really thought about technology is when the remote control came out. I mean, the remote control where you're sitting on your sofa and you can now change a channel. Because back then, like, my parents would go, get up and change a channel. No, I don't want to. So if you're watching a newscaster you don't agree with, you know, you'd have people who would just yell at the television, maybe throw a shoe. But they weren't going to change a channel. They didn't have a remote control. Then here comes the remote control. I remember taking a remote control, putting it on a Xerox machine, making all these copies and taping them around the station going, this is the enemy. (laughs) But this was the challenge, you know, to really be, say, what are we doing? How intentional are we? What is the value that we're creating for the audience? What is the value that, that allows them to say, I have to watch this because what I get from this is going to inform me in a way that's going to make my life better, easier, more entertaining. Um, but the fact is, the more choices people have, the better you had better be. When the Internet first came about, I was fascinated by that. As a television person, and my, my, my print colleagues, whom I love, will hate me for saying this. But when I saw the Internet, I went, hey, everyone, here's our chance because when, you're, uh, when you work in television and you go into people's places of business, you always saw a newspaper open on someone's desk, right? And you always heard a radio playing. What you didn't see was a television. <laughs> and that would be too distracting for the workplace. So my big claim to my news team was, for the first time ever, everyone, people are going to use computers at work. We're going to be in the workspace. We're now on level playing field. To which colleagues of mine go, but the internet doesn't do video. But it will. And when it does, we must already be there. Let's not fight for space when everybody else wants it. Let's get on board now. So this was when I worked at MAZ, and we were one of the first stations in the country to have a website. You know, back then you had to go buy all these little diskettes and put them in your computer to kind of load the internet. I'm speaking very simplistically about this. But we had a deal where we had our anchor team on the box so that if you bought the internet access software, you had our anchor team. I just felt like this was the place where people were going to get news and information. And I got a lot of pushback, you know. But you know what? We were, as a business, I believe, slower than we should have been. And we were professionals, very good at what we did. And, you know, the kind of the, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, but I looked at it very much like the old adage about, well, somebody once said, you know, the, the railroads had the opportunity to be in the airline business. They said, no, we're in the railroad business. And uh, some said, well, maybe you didn't understand you were in the transportation business. It's just difficult to change. And I think we are still facing that. Yeah, I think that's a lot of great stuff in there about innovation and like you said accepting change I, I know it's hard to accept change especially if it's scary and you're watching these old movies about like Watergate and you know the big prestigious journalism is the fourth estate it must have felt scary to be like oh we're, we're going to be on this weird internet thing that everyone can be on and you kind of mentioned it was the industry was a little bit slower to adapt than it should have been So what do you think about the journalism industry now, and I guess specifically broadcast? Having gone through this transition, 
What is your sense of what the industry looks like? Like, is it possible to have a 30 plus year career in broadcast like you did? Or is it just a completely different landscape? Well, now this is where I'm just, I have to just break from the court of popular opinion. Number one, I don't believe, you know, sitting around gnashing teeth and swirling your fingers around a bunch of storm and drong. I just don't think that's helpful. I think you can look at a problem and you must look at a problem. But at some point we've got this. We understand it. Now let's, now let's, let's move on and let's, let's work. Yes, I think people can have better careers. I think there's a lot more autonomy for individuals than there's ever been. I mean, there are people that are out there uh, working as quote-unquote, you know, influencers. This, this device that I'm holding, this, this mobile phone, this, this one-to-one intimate form of communication is so incredibly powerful. It allows power to come to people, and it allows people to be powerful. And that, like, just like freedom, just like democracy, really a double-edged sword. And so I think, I think it's a wonderful opportunity, but please understand, I'm also not somebody who's going to sit there and go, I wish you shoulda, coulda, woulda, because that's, it's too fatalistic. It does not move us forward. And frankly, I think that what journalists do and what they will do is incredibly important. And, and makes a difference. And I think that there are times over the course of history where we figure out, you know, when people don't need us, they don't pay attention to us, but when they do, they turn to us. And a lot of people say, well, are we even going to be there for them to turn to? Well, yes, but it's up to us to figure out, you know, how. And, and it's up to us to really say, to, to be very respectful of our audiences. When our audiences tell us, We're not going to watch something for seven minutes. Or we will, but you can't do it the same old way and expect it. You're not going to hold us hostage. We have to pay attention to that. And I think as long as we do that, it's fine. I like that optimism. I think that is really helpful, especially as a student entering this industry when it feels like all you hear is layoffs and cuts and this is going underwater and all that. I I agree that it's just a matter of what is going to be the new way that we do things. And like you said earlier, the news is about what, what's new, what's <laughs> happening now. So it's kind of ironic to be in an industry that's kind of in the moment looking ahead and then to be, you know, looking backwards all the time. So I think that's a great <laughs> reminder because I find myself even being a little, a little nervous. I think understandably so, but just instead of being nervous, maybe I should be more excited. (laughs) I should be thrilled. I tell people all the time, I don't wish to be younger because youth is so dead gum hard. You know, oh my goodness. This is the only time in the last 20 years where I have dearly wished that I were younger. I think this is an incredible time to build that media future, to really work hard, because there's no question, none of us makes any decision without information. And our decisions can't be good if we cannot trust the information. So while we have all the, we can spend all this time going, but what about AI? What about this? What about that? Yes, you must pay attention. And, and yes, you must mitigate damage. But what you have to do that's more important is listen to the audience, res- be respectful of the audience, keep gathering the information, and then find ways to produce the information so that people are attentive to it. And to recognize we will be attentive to different types of situations at different times, depending on what's going on in our world. But I have, 
never except for now really wish to be young because there's so much incredible opportunity available to you all. And I think you're kind of seeing this new generation of broadcasts in the students that you work with. So one of your roles here is you teach in News Source, which is a student-produced broadcast with news from a lot of the counties here surrounding UGA. Why is that broadcast journalism and video journalism more generally, why is that something that you're interested in teaching? There are things that I am very passionate about and I'm very good at. Um, Those things are visuals, uh, visual storytelling, primarily with video because that's been my experience. But frankly, I work around a bunch of really smart colleagues, so I am not the least bit ashamed to hang out with them to learn their specialties. I want to learn more about photo because, you know, our history is is full of these these photos that that are iconic, that have described in one photo uh, a a world, a culture uh, that has been impactful to so many. And I could, we could go on and on about that. But so once a year, I'm going to go hang with Professor Johnson and Professor Lowe, and I'm going to learn more about photo because it matters. Dr. Amanda Bright, I'm going to hang out with her because, you know, she's very cutting edge on, you know, how digital tools work. And their simplicity, because I do think a big thing that's making us hang back and that is an impediment to legacy news organizations moving forward is a fear of this technology. There's some things that, are, that seem less simple, but, but at the end of the day, if you sit around and you're attentive, and I don't know if you do like me, you just kind of hang out with people smarter than you, then you learn the tools you need to learn to, to move your power forward. So primarily, uh, like this semester, I teach producing and I teach information gathering. Uh, the producing, yes, I teach for television, but only because I think television has the historic legacy visual storytelling muscle. That muscle will play on different platforms with the right tech tools. Where it plays, whether it's over smoke signals or uh, a licensed broadcast band or on on somebody's iPad, I don't care. I want the story to go where the audiences are. And then I teach, let's see, this fall, I will be teaching a capstone class that is going to be all about elections. And what I want us to do there, presidential elections have been about a horse race, you know, and you know, talking about things that, while seemingly germane, there are other things on the table for us as American citizens that are going to impact us more. Our health care, our educational system, so many things. I would like for this class to take a look at how can we take those big issues, how might we use these tools, this iPhone, these, these visual storytelling mediums such as, you know, YouTube. How might a class of college students tell those deep, rich stories in a way that respects how people, and how young people especially, ingest important election, political policy-making information. I like uh, that idea of not being the smartest person in the room ever that you're in. (laughs) Like, uh, just learning from other people and surrounding yourself with, like you said, really smart people is a great way to just soak up information and it, it makes you better in your own craft. So I really like that point. If you had to give advice to aspiring journalists, what would you say to them? Well, if you weren't homecoming queen and your dream was to be homecoming queen, this is not for you. (laughs) So, you know, nobody's going to give you a cookie and a crown. You show up very often on the worst day of someone's life uh, or at cataclysmic events. You also have the wonder and the gift and the honor of showing up and celebrating some of the best things that human beings do. 
and that's a gift, and you have to be really respectful and treat that with a lot of humility. The advice I would give, if this is something you want to do, I do not believe there's been a better time to do it. I think it is an incredible time to really learn. But I think you're going to have to be bold, and being bold's hard, and being bold comes at a price. Because people don't want to hang on to legacy because they intellectually think that it's ever going to go back. They hang on because there's such an abyss of fear for the for the future. So you all, you aspiring journalists, are going to be the ones that, I don't know if this is Star Trek, Star Wars, I get them mixed up, but, you know, boldly go where man has never gone. I, I, I do tell my students that. I do think that journalism is the, the most important profession, and that's not to diminish any other profession. If you don't have accurate information, and if you don't have news and you don't know what's going on in your world, how do you function? And I jokingly say, do you know of another profession that has like a hashtag where people hate it? You know, if you have a plumber that does something wrong, that plumber didn't... Hashtag fake plumber. There are plenty of professionals that make mistakes and that do bad things. But our profession, I think somewhere we all recognize that it is of such import. And people do count on us. And we do have to be right. And we do have to be fair. Do have to be accurate. That when we mess up, it's bad enough to where we get a hashtag. And that, I think, could be kind of a point of pride. I really love that way of thinking about it because it's, it's easy to see that and say, oh, I don't, I don't want to go into this industry where everyone's going to hate me, but that's a really good way of thinking about it where it kind of centers the, the center of the profession and the integrity of it yeah. and the importance of it. That's great. I know that we, I like to talk about the future and, you know, innovation and what's going on next, but I also do want to ask, go back to the beginning, what brought you to journalism? Because you're obviously so passionate about it and that was something I could tell like the first time that I met you when I did a little thing at News Source. So I'm just curious, did you always know you wanted to be a journalist? What drew you to this profession in the beginning? And then why did you stick with it for so many years? Look, I was never supposed to work. I was not brought, my father, I had two brothers. I was not allowed to work when I was a teenager. My father said that ladies do volunteer work. You don't work for money. I wrote for my high school newspapers. For a while I was the editor of a high school newspaper, but that was my hobby. I wasn't going to do that for a living. So I was passionate about it as a fun thing. But uh, when, when I got a little bit older, my mother, my mother really wanted me to do it. She thought it was very important. Um, while my father saying, no, she could never have a job. She grew up uh, in Nazi Germany. And she didn't talk about it much. But... There would be moments in our lives where she would bring it up. I had an instance. Some, some boy broke up with me, broke my heart for, you know, five minutes, and I was crying about it. And she goes, what are you crying about? She goes, you cry when your house gets bombed. That's when you cry. You cry when your father gets arrested and you're scared that you're not going to give the right answer. She goes, then you cry. You don't cry over this. And uh, makes it hard to cry about anything. But, um, but she always said in one way, she never belabored this stuff. These were very hard memories for her to relive. And she only brought it up if it was contextual to something in our lives. But um, she goes, we didn't know what was going on. Well, I went, yes, you did. You can't not know. That's what, that's what all Germans said. You didn't know what was going on. And she told me, she said, Dodie, you have to understand. If the newspapers disagreed with Hitler, they weren't available anymore. It was shut down. 
the radio stations didn't agree with Hitler, they were shut down. And if you are programmed, and that's all you hear, then you know what people want you to know. She goes, and it took us a while to recognize that. You know, it's not like they're having a press conference. We closed another newspaper day. You know, it's whispers. Or um, you start being told about why this media outlet is bad or wrong, um, and you shouldn't listen to it, and then all of a sudden it's not there to listen to anymore. It became a death penalty to listen to a radio station that was not, you know, an authorized radio station. And she said, when it becomes a death penalty to listen to something else, you know you're not hearing what you need to know. She said, the only protection for people is a free press. That's it. And you hear that enough. And I was always hearing that in context with something bad that was happening, like something would happen in this country, and you know, politically or otherwise. And she'd go, yep, how important a free press, how important it was for people to know things. And I remember she asked me once, she goes, you need to pay attention to your press. What's going on? She asked me once, she says, what do you think is going on in Guantanamo? How often have you all been down there to cover that? I'm going, I don't know. She said, pay attention. If you press people, don't pay attention. Who will? Who's going to pay attention? Who's going to tell us? And look what happens when no one does. What a powerful way to, you know, have that reinforced for you from a young age. Just the importance of the industry and that personal experience is very incredible. Yeah, it makes you sometimes just a bit, I tell people, I go, for heaven's sakes, I take our profession seriously myself, not so much, but the, but the profession, yes. But it does seem, I always feel like, well, here comes Dodie Downer, but it, but it is true. Yeah, it's, it's important, and it's, uh, again, just with all the change that's happening and going on, and like your mother said, you can see some of these parallels. It sounds a little dramatic, maybe, but it's, at the end of the day, it's, it's really not. It's a really good example to have again, why it's so important, why this industry is so important. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I really enjoyed our conversation. My pleasure. Thank you again to Dodie for joining me on this episode, and thank you for tuning in to The Lead. I'm your host, Jacqueline Ganun. Our executive producer is Charlotte Barnum, and the show is supported by the Cox Institute. To keep up with The Lead and hear more from media leaders, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow us on X, formerly Twitter. We are at The Lead Podcast. See you next time.